Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Entail, our favorite podcast app, are helping to raise money for the Radio Academy, which has set up an emergency fund to help those in the radio and audio sector who are facing hardship because of the coronavirus. If you would like to donate to this worthy cause, please do so via the link that will appear now on Entail. Or you can find it in the show notes. For every £1 donated, Entail will match it. Thanks very much. And just so you know, this money doesn't come to us at all. Um, but we're very, very grateful for any contribution. This podcast, this podcast, this podcast is Entail Enhanced. Hello, and Hi. welcome to Making the Cut podcast. I'm Davina McCall. And I am Michael Douglas, not the real one. The yeah, the, my real one. The real one, but not the real, real one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the um, and we are going to spend the next hour reviewing uh, and recommending things that you never knew you needed. <laughs> Um, we would strongly suggest that you get a pen and paper uh, mm. to jot things down. You're going to hear things and you're going to want to remember um, where to get something or how to get it. But also, if you're listening on the Entail app, they will do all of that for you. Um, but if you're not listening on the Entail app, go and grab a pen and paper. Yes. Good Hi. idea. Hi. Um, Hi. You look fresh-faced today, lovely red lips, hair's a bit um, yes. frizzy. Got this funny curl thing going on. on um, a terrible... So basically what happened was... I'm going to take a screen grab just so we've got it. I mean, it, does, it looks nice, you know, it just looks alternative, I think is probably a good word for it. Basically what happens is um, I do this thing, I wash my hair, I go out in the morning for my run, and I think to myself, well, I'm going to put it up, and it's slightly damp. When I take it down, it's going to have a natural kink to it. It's going to look amazing. Most, today, I would say, eight times out of ten, that's what happens. Yeah, today that did not happen. It's definitely got a natural kink to it. <laughs> um, but those kinks are in all the wrong places, I would say. One's up here somewhere. Like. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's there. I think your ponytail was too high today or your double treble knotted it. I mean, it's, it's fashion is what it is. Is it? Yeah, yeah. If that was You're just it. being nice. No, no, I mean, you know, I'm only messing about. You look, you look lovely. Um, if, can you hear that? I can hear that. It's oh, very it annoying. Oh, it is? It's your coffee grinder? The coffee grinder, yeah. So for my birthday this year, I got a string of coffee-related products. <laughs> I don't really know why, but... Um, I, you do like your coffee, though. Well, I only could only really drink one a day. I mean, two a day at a push. This will be my second, but I'm feeling in a real slump uh, today. So I'm thinking, well, I'll take some coffee. It might just poke me up. Um, and um, a friend of mine, my good friend Andy, bought me something called the Rhino Coffee Gear Coffee Grinder. So if you go on the Intel app, you'll see a picture of it now. 
So it only makes one cup of coffee. You have to grind the beans. There's something gorgeously selfish about that. Yeah, it is pretty good like that, isn't it? And, um, and also, because I only drink one or two a day, there's a certain ritual around making yes. coffee. I quite enjoy, you know, like it takes mm. ten, five or ten minutes or so. You get to sniff all the beans and, you know, you get the kind of process of making it and then you get the privilege of drinking it after you've made it. You know, it's like making a cake or something like that. So that's what, what this is. Now, it, you put in enough beans to fill it up and then you grind it and then you get enough for a cup of coffee. I didn't realise that it takes about 250 turns to get a coffee, a cup of coffee. Oh, so it's a workout. (laughs) It's it's unbelievable. I've been doing this for like seven minutes, like, and it's we're still not even at the end of the beans, you know. It's tell um, me once you've once you've ground it, how do you then turn it into a cup of coffee? I'm going to show you. What people don't realise is me me and you do this over FaceTime, so we can see each Mm. other and we can see what each other's doing. You obviously don't get the privilege when you listen to the podcast. However, if you listen to it on the Entel app, you'll see the photos. So I'm going to show you because Andy didn't just buy me the coffee grinder. He also bought me this thing that you Mm. then put the coffee into and pour water through it like a filter thing. Mm. Um, So, and it just makes a single cup of coffee. Because where was the place that you used to go? Oh, done. I think I'm coming to the end, yeah. One more bean. So, oh, see, there you go. It's, It's clear, nearly clear, there you go, okay. Let me have a little look inside it. No more beans. No more beans in there. Man, if I open You take this. the bottom off. So you empty the bottom, you take the bottom off and there's all the perfectly ground coffee. There's all the ground coffee there. So that is enough for one cup. So it's a bit like a Nespresso capsule at this point. It's in a little aluminium thing. Um, and then uh, what I'll do is Tip the coffee into this little filter here. You know? So that looks like a sort of triangular sieve. Yeah, but it sits on top of the cup like that. You know? I mean, this is, this is not, we need to describe this better. It's so quite difficult to describe that. Like a sieve in a, in, a, in a holder of some description that sits on top of the cup. The coffee then goes into that. It's a beautiful sieve. Nice, it's isn't a it? Nice look, it's a nice looking piece of kit. And then oh, look, pat- what are you doing there? You're patting it down. Is that pat- a thing? Patting it down with the base of the thing so it's a bit more compact. Uh, and then right. I was told not to put boiling water on. Because really? You bur- oh, you burn, burn the, the coffee. Burn the coffee, apparently. And then hot water from a kettle that was boiled about four or five minutes ago. And then I pour that. Four or five minutes old? Is that not cold? Well, let, let's say, well, let's say three minutes ago then. I mean, just before we started, I bowled the kettle. And then as you can see, it's nicely filtering out. So I'll take a picture of this. So you can see the coffee's in the pot there and it's water filtering through. I mean, there's something very relaxing about that. I think you're absolutely right. If you are a coffee connoisseur, I think if you were drinking eight cups a day, you wouldn't necessarily want to do that. No. A lot. But one. I think if you're going to do one or two a day, I think it's a rather nice ritual. And it means it's, it's a way of eking out the experience. Sometimes you have a coffee and it goes so quickly. If you love your coffee, yes. you get the smell of it. You get the kind of, is it nice? Does it smell lovely? It does smell lovely. It's very uh, strong. <laughs> oh, is it? But I think that is probably good. What you need. I, I think it's what I need at the moment. Yeah. Can I just tell you something, Michael? Yeah. If you're feeling a bit um, bleh, 
today. Yeah. I am here to lift you up. But perhaps during this podcast, drinking this coffee and uh, interacting yeah. with you, it might with transform. Yeah. Might tra- transform everything. I'm going to run 5K after this, by the way. That's uh, the other reason for drinking coffee. Well done. Yeah, because that, that, as much as I don't want to do that, that really makes a difference to me feeling good. I, I'm going to, to make you feel really happy. Oh, yeah. By remembering something mm-hmm. that we did together mm-hmm. before lockdown, before we were cruelly separated. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the New Yorker jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. See, look at that little smile on your face. I love the New Yorker. So for my birthday, I think it was possibly my 52nd birthday. It was. um, Sarah, my best friend, bought me a New Yorker jigsaw puzzle. I didn't know it was a thing. I I didn't know that they were loved and... um, they were such a big deal. I'd never seen one before. I'd heard about the New Yorker magazine because their covers are so iconic. Yes. Um, but I'd never seen a jigsaw puzzle. Anyway, the reason I've always loved a jigsaw puzzle and I've always taken jigsaw puzzles, like if, if I've ever rented a, a villa on a holiday or something with friends, I always take a jigsaw puzzle because it's such a fun thing for everybody to have a go at at some point during the day. And this jigsaw puzzle is next level brilliant. Yeah. The reason being is that the covers are always interesting, iconic, beautiful mm-hmm. works of art. So it's, it's basically a work of art that you're completing. But the pieces, and for anybody that does jigsaw puzzles will appreciate this, the pieces are complex. They are not your average jigsaw piece. You know, they don't all just have two outs and two ins or one out and three ins. Sometimes they have a curvy bit or a, I mean, they, it's very complex and they often have kind of quite large spaces of all the same color of something. But I am now obsessed as are you Mm -hmm. with New Yorker jigsaws. I mean, there's one, there's one flaw with a jigsaw puzzle. um, And that is that they take up a lot of space. Yes, I mean, you, we, I used to buy, I used to have one of these rolls, a jigsaw roll. I had a roll. Yeah, but um, I haven't seen one for a while, but maybe that's what I, I think could do. I mine's in storage. Because you very kindly bought me a New Yorker, but I have, I've got it on top of the fridge there, but I've not, I've unboxed it, but I, if I do it on the kitchen table, I've nowhere to eat. No. Um, so I am looking for a solution to that, because I would love to get stuck into it. It is a fantastic way to relax. I oh, think. And you can't think about anything else. Yeah, it's like a form of meditation. And I don't Mm. think that that's trivialising it at all. I think it really does put you at ease and it focuses your mind on an aim and nothing else other than the aim, Mm. which is to find Mm. the bloody blue bit that you can't find or whatever. I spent two hours Mm. um, last night. I got a new one a couple of days ago. I spent two hours last night um, finding four pieces. Mm -hmm to complete the outside and it was so gratifying when I found a piece I sorted I sorted it out by the way I sent I sent Michael a very funny um video of a side of the jigsaw that was all pink and black and no other side of the jigsaw Mm. was pink and black and it was complete I'd I'd put them all together and yet there was another chain of six pieces 
not Not pink and black jigsaw that wasn't in the finished side. (laughs) I was thinking, come on. So I had to go through and look at all the pieces to see was there one that was slightly mismatched. And um, I did find it and and slide it in. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Um, It's just so metaphorical, I think, a jigsaw. Because you think you've got everything in order. You think you have everything mm. in the right place. Yet there's a piece over here that it doesn't fit and it doesn't make sense. And you have to literally unpack your belief around something to then put it back in and then you find it fits. But you could apply that to any part of your life, right? Mm. And it would, be, it would be sensible. You know, I think, that's what's, mm. I think that's what's the point of the jigsaw is that it's, you're learning something about yourself when you do it, you know? I love that idea. Yeah. I've never thought about that at all. Have you not? Ever. No. But I, what I do like is that it does quiet my mind. My mind, as mm. you know, I'm always thinking too much about ideas and life. I get so excited about ideas, but it is literally a head holiday for me. Do you, but I thought while well, I was gone. Do you have a jigsaw song that goes around your head when you're looking oh, for a piece? Oh, no, do you? Yeah. Shh. Stop it. Yeah, when what you're really it? looking for a piece, have, piece why of jigsaw. Have you never t- why we've been doing our jigsaws? Why have you never told me about your jigsaw song? Well, I don't really know. I just, I just the song trundles through my head as I'm like looking for it. It gives a rhythm to the, to the search, I think. But it's the he-man Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. It goes... Prince of Eternia, defender of the secrets of Castle Grayskull. This is Cringer, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic sword and said, By the power of Grayskull. And you're valiantly searching for the piece yeah. as you look around. Yeah. And then it gets more and more high pitched depending on like how frustrated. <laughs> That's always going on in my head when I search for a jigsaw puzzle. Oh, I don't or... have that either. It's I think it's like a form of patience, like it helps me. Do I talk to patient. myself when I'm doing a jigsaw? I think I do. I, I go, piece, where is it? Yeah, well, that is exactly the same thing. You're saying it in words, but I do it with a with a tune. But it's the same yeah. thing. You you start because you'll no doubt go. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Yes. So it's like a funny do 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 do. But that's the type of meditation, isn't it? Completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did a little bit of I deep dived into um, mm-hmm. the New Yorker magazine, which is such an iconic piece of um, publishing, and it was started in. America in New York in mm-hmm. uh, the early 20s, 1925, by Harold Ross. And it's now owned by Condé Nast. Didn't know that. Oh, um, is it? Own um, Vogue and Tatler and all those magazines. Um, but it was meant to be a sort of um, kind of comic paper. Yeah. You know, sort of lots of lovely. I mean, the design of it, when you look at, in fact, even if you look at the New Yorker now, the design of it is really beautiful. Yeah. Very 1920s, 30s style graphics, always looks so iconic. I mean, the New Yorker covers make great household, mm-hmm. you know, frame them, put them in a row, put six of them together. They just look great. Um, and it was basically sort of 
based around Manhattan and what was going on in Manhattan then. But nowadays, it's like people see it as a massively influential magazine. Um, it does in-depth reporting. You know, we talked about The Week. Yes, the magazine week. The Week, yeah. It, it, it's a bit, it's a bit yes. like The Week, except it doesn't report mm -hmm. from all... Because The Week takes other newspapers' stories yes. and puts them and brings them together. Whereas this is um, the New Yorker's take on the world but it's it's all about the world it's in-depth reporting it's political and cultural commentary um and it you can get digital access only i just had a look at it i've signed up for 12 weeks um to, oh, so you? i can get it online yeah, yeah. it sounds amazing um six bucks for 12 weeks six dollars um, so that's four quid for how long 12 weeks. 12 weeks. God, that's good, isn't it? On Online only, digital. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. And then for one year, yeah. uh, one year, it's $50. So that would be, I don't know, 40, 45 quid or something. So uh, less than a pound a week. Okay. Now, I have a spin-off thing to review off the back of oh, great. talking about this. Because, wait, very quickly, mm -hmm. such a good gift idea, that. Yes, you know, I, you, I agree. Because I'm always stuck for friends and things you don't have to give somebody a material something. You know, I've got lots of friends who probably love just a snippet of the New mm -hmm. Yorker. 12 weeks, only six bucks. It's a great idea. It's a really good idea. And it's a really mm. great gift because, you know, it's exposing you to another piece of the world, another bit of culture, another bit of art. I love that mm. Jordan Peterson thing where he says, what he says, he says, buy a piece of art and hang it in your house because you invite mm. beauty into your life. And, um, I really love that idea where mm. it just doesn't matter what it is, as long as it speaks to you in some way. And then you get an introduction to the artist who then introduce you to other artists and other bits of art. And people see it as a highbrow thing sometimes, but it's just not. It's like it's everywhere. It's a, it's a bridge. It's a building. It's a picture. You know, it's a photograph. It's all art, you know. So I, I um, stumbled that across this food. thing. Completely, yeah. And mm. I also think, like, people don't possibly put enough effort into what they're looking at sometimes like mm. people watch films and just let it wash over them or people look at a painting and just see some colors or something like that but it's worth trying to work out what it's saying to you and you could do that with anything virtually like even interior design S somebody's chosen something to, to say something to you you know like even with colors or but they're trying to speak to you, you know, and it's worth just staring at something for 10 minutes and trying to work out what it's saying to you. And it might not be what the artist intended, but that doesn't matter. Like the point is it's opened a window into something, a conversation that you can have with the piece of art. And art's um, so subjective. It's going to mean something different to everybody, everybody because we've all had different life experiences mm. that will tap into something yeah. in that piece of art, or we might not like something or like something because of something that we've experienced. Um, I was just thinking that would make a great TV programme. What would, like, what is art? Art, art. do you remember school? It was, mm -hmm. I think, wouldn't, wasn't there art appreciation classes? No, it wasn't at my school, no. Um, so, like, you would, it would be called art appreciation. I mean, I obviously put you and me in everything that yeah, I okay. think of. Like, mm. okay, and we'd be presenting and we would go and dissect various cultural landmarks art mm. acts of cultural brilliance yeah yeah or and it's everywhere know, yeah just and it's everywhere mm. and talk about it yeah 
that's another podcast isn't it yeah i think so i mean there's that um uh, being human podcast that um Jeremy Vine does and he had Richard Dawkins on it one day and Richard Dawkins talks about the arts as everything like science engineering painting what it is it, it's all part of the same thing but I've never seen it like that before you think about engineering mm. as part of industry you don't necessarily think about art but you think about what Brunel did building those bridges I mean it takes a creative mind to do that like you just can't mm do it logically like it it requires so much kind of creative exploration so i love tell us about that podcast oh well being human is a bbc2 thing done by jeremy vine he does one a week maybe and it gets released as a podcast and he interviews various uh, academics or artists or musicians or writers or anyone politicians and it's their interpretation of what it means to be human but um and it's some of them are interesting and some of them I think they're a bit weak you know it depends on who you're talking to but the Dawkins one was the one that opened my brain up the most I can't remember what number it is maybe number 60 it's either 64 be or 49 able, be able so to like, find you it. have to dig it out but he, what they do is the, the the person who's been invited onto the show reads out an essay that they've written a pre-prepared essay that they've written so it's been considered and thought through it's not just off the cuff and then Jeremy Vine gets to interview them about the essay and about their life or their career and, and why they think it means what it means to be human. But Dawkins is by far the, the greatest one, I think, because of, of what he does for a living, you know, as a, a naturalist. Mm. I suppose want to call him a naturist, so that's completely a different thing. Um, so, um, yeah, he talks about the idea that being human is to have open-ended grammar, like we have the capacity to question things and answer a question. And we've talked about this before, but in that film Arrival, when those aliens come, uh, that Amy was Adams. So yeah. good. And it's kind of funny and a bit science fictiony and all the rest of it, but they pose the idea that before you can speak to the alien, you have to get it to understand what a question is. Like, it doesn't mean anything, they're just words. And that's, and when you think about how complex language is and how the human beings have an understanding of that dogs and cats and all sorts of other animals just can't ever get their head around is. Mm. Never mind the words, but what's the intent of the words? Like, how do you understand what's a question and what's not? Yeah, it's just intuitive mm. to us. But Dawkins talks a lot about that, and it's it's really mind-bending stuff. But he's really mm. fascinating, um, Richard Dawkins. I'm going to go and listen to that today. I haven't listened to that yet. Oh, have you and not? It sounds amazing. No. Yeah, it's really good. And a lot of people hate Dawkins because of his kind of card-carrying atheist views. But you can just put them to, to, to one side for a bit if you are... Um, a religious persuasion and just listen to him as a as an academic i think it's it's superb anyway I also think, wait just mm. one thing very yeah. quickly i also think that it is a real shame to cross somebody off your list because there is one thing albeit a massive thing mm. that you disagree with or don't like i think we should all be open to listening to people's ideas even if we disagree with one yeah. Even sometimes it's good to listen to somebody in order to disagree with them. Yeah, well, you, you don't have to only them. listen yeah. to things that you 100% agree with. Anyway, yeah. crack on. Yes. Um, uh, oh, God, there was loads of things I could say about that. That's for another time. So, anyway, I was mooching through Netflix. This was ages ago. And um, I found this thing called Abstract on Netflix, which was a program just about art. So you can go and have a look at this. Um, it's called The Design of Art. Um, and it's, it, how many episodes is there? It looks like there's about it's, eight Is it episodes. called, because you just said abstract, but then you said it's called The Design of Art. Yes, Is it sorry. called both of those things? Uh, yes, so abstract is the title. Yeah. And, the, and then the strep line is called The Art of Design. 
What's important is the story, the message, the feeling, the connection. It's design. So, an episode one which I watched was about illustration, and it was by a guy called Christopher Christoph Nyman. And um, I thought, well, I didn't know this guy. I think he's kind of German, maybe, or let me just see what it says there. I feel like I've heard of Christoph Nyman. Well, you have done. Oh, okay. Uh, this is the point, because <laughs> I, I watched his work, and it's just beautiful. You know, he w- works in this little studio. He goes to work every day like a proper job, he, although he works for himself as an artist. You'd think they'd be free and work outside the confines of, of the normal working life. But he doesn't, you know, he treats it like a job. You know, he goes to work to create bits of art, you know. Um, and anyway, uh, while he's there, he starts to go through all the designs he's done for The New Yorker. And I was like, oh, my God. Now, I'd never really heard of The How New Yorker. Yeah. weird. Yeah. Is th- are you serious? Yeah, completely serious. This is about a year we ago. We are on the same algorithm. We certainly are. So the, the episode's really good. It's 47 minutes long, but it, he does some really nice stuff. So we instantly went to follow him on Instagram. So he's on Instagram and he's called Abstract Sunday. He's got a million followers. Wow. And his work is fantastic. He does these really interesting things where he takes objects like a, a sock, for instance, that he finds on the floor. And then he creates a, a, a body. He, he might draw a picture of a body or something that fits around the sock. So the sock represents the mouth of a bird. And then he's drawn a right. onto it. So some really nice, simple things. But there's lots of New Yorker covers in there, weirdly. I mean, they're um, fantastic, those covers, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, aren't they just? And he seems to be one of the go-to guys. And in the episode, he has a meeting with the editor of The New Yorker, and they're talking about the new designs for the new cover and all that kind of stuff. So it's very weird that you picked up on this New Yorker jigsaw, because when it, when it came through, I thought, oh, I, there's significant bits of art done by very serious artists, these front covers. But were you, were you going to talk about abstract today uh, no it's just when you ah. started mentioning the new york okay i thought, oh I thought God, you'd chosen no. to talk about it today no, no, and no. i'd spoken about the new york i thought yeah. that's too weird what's his name again christoph uh, christoph nyman n-i-e-m-a-n-n n-i-e-m-a-n-n great he calls himself a visual storyteller now i do know he has another instagram account as well it's a bit more of a corporate work thing but just have a look through the instagram account yeah i'm definitely going to do that sounds amazing it's really good so yeah i I was delighted when we started doing these new yorker puzzles because of that very reason like it gives you a window into the artist and then other artists because obviously there's plenty of people that have painted and made these pictures for the new yorker so and when you look at the inside of the magazine the graphics Mm. and the Mm. pictures that they choose everything about it is still in that same kind of vein Mm. as an aesthetic it's so lovely to look at that I think that's what I'm going to enjoy the most you know mm. when you open a page you think oh the typeface is really it's just style mm. it's really really stylish um god that's great and the, the jigsaw that you just bought looks, yes. looks really nice yes I have um I bought two but I did one of um it's a kind of Frankenstein type yeah setting. that's the one I really like yeah it's great that it is it's really good Mm. I've taken some pictures, so I'll put that on the app. Okay. On the app. Now, we've already done a New Yorker um, last year, and we are thinking about giving it away as a prize. We're going to do a competition. Yeah, so we'll have a little think about a question, and then you could send your answers in, and you could win the, 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 the New Yorker jigsaw puzzle that we, we've already done, and it's been boxed up again. <laughs> we, I mean, we broke it all down into little pieces, put it in a box. 
But um, they're quite expensive, these jigsaws, but I presume it's because the artist needs to be paid some rights on the imagery. Yes. And what's happened, um, I looked it up, but what happened in the lockdown Mm. is um, supply and demand went crazy. And I looked up to try and buy a New Yorker puzzle at the beginning of lockdown. And they were £60 on Amazon. Like You just couldn't get them. Everywhere was sold out. There was one in sort of Bulgaria or something. I mean, it was impossible to get hold of them. But now you can get them via Waterstones, via Amazon, and they're about seventeen ninety nine, which is still extremely expensive in terms of jigsaws. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in comparison to somewhere like Disney, but they are... They're challenging for, though, aren't they? They're really jigsaw challenging. Jigsaw appreciators. Mm. Also, what I didn't realise, and I only found out when I went onto the New Yorker website, that they have three different types of jigsaws. So you've oh. got one easy-ish, mm-hmm. two not so easy, and three immensely challenging. So Are we on immensely challenging? I, hope so. I mean, just my my ego and my pride is telling me yes. Okay, good. That's cracky, O'Reilly. Um, it's a killer. So I had a I had a question that posed into my brain this week. Um, it was posed to me by my own subconscious, which is why is uh, why is GMT Greenwich Mean Time the start of all clocks around the world? Why does zero o'clock start here and nowhere else well i've got a feeling you're going to tell me yeah but do you know the answer i've got no idea no No, i didn't know the answer neither but i always thought it was quite fascinating but um so i did a bit of digging about uh on that but your dad will all know the answer to this because he's a sailor because it's all based on maps for sailing Mm. and um latitude the line for zero latitude is obviously the equator so that was pretty straightforward. Everybody just accepted that as a universal thing. And um, whereas long longitude, <laughs> I've said the word so many times that I've forgotten how to say it. Longitude, longitude. I always put an extra letter in there. I think I do. As I would always longitude. say longitude. 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 Yeah, I think I would as well. Um, but because we were uh, obsessed with um, colonising Britain all over the world, most of the significant sailing adventures set sail from britain so we made our own maps as being zero from greenwich and where the boats would set sail from um but every other country also did that they also had a zero in their own country um but when it came to cross-referencing maps or finding maps from other countries um, they realized that it wasn't going to work that somebody had to universally take um that that zero point. How did we land with that? It. That's such well, a win for yeah, us. Yeah, it is. But I think it was because there was more ships that sailed from, from Greenwich than anywhere else in the world. And that we were the most powerful country in the world at that time. Everybody just adopted wow. it as we were the, the go-to place. So zero should always be GMT. Well, that's quite interesting, isn't it? I mean, there's obviously yeah. a lot more detail to it. A mate of mine rang me and said, if you want to know more about this, I'll, I'll send you this book. You can read about it. He said it's quite boring, but also fascinating. But um, I just thought I would express that because I thought know, it might be whole some geography, people. Do you remember that book I gave you and yeah. Sarah, The Prisoners of Geography? Prisoners book, of Geography, yeah. yeah. Um, which I have yet to read. It's on my pile of books yeah, on my bedside I, table. But I- 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I've read some of the blurb about it. It's fascinating, that idea that the, like the world is because the way that it is because of each country's geography. Yeah, like a mountain and range would happily divide up a country and that's why exactly that way. or yeah. why another country would be valuable to a huge country next to it and why mm. they're constantly trying to take it over or um it's fascinating yeah, it's anyway fascinating. that was um so i are you going to tell us more about gmt uh, i'm not it was just that so I, i've made this t-shirt today <gasps> so i was going to tell you about t-shirt printing now this one's hustler yeah, this one's not printed very well. Now, the reason I like this design is that Michael Hutchins wore it once on a, in, a, in a concert he did, in a pop concert he did. And I always thought, oh, I wonder where I can get so that Explain to everybody from. why you said that. Uh, that was because it's in an episode of Alan Partridge where uh, Alan Partridge, um, and he, he takes his girlfriend around what he claims to be Bono's house. Uh, now, you remember this. It's called in, in I'm Alan Partridge. I think it's episode four. But um, his girlfriend, his Eastern European girlfriend, loves Bono and you too. And to win her over, because he, they've fallen out, he, he claims to know Bono. And she says, you do not know Bono. And he says, I'll do. I'll take you to his house right now. So they go to this big stately home, which is just one of these national trust places. And he walks around ah. and he goes, this is Bono's house. This is, his, uh, this is where he parks his car. <laughs> She's going like, there's a lot of cars here. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bono's got the... Um, Biggest collection of hatchbacks in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he does his whole thing. And then Lynn, Alan Partridge's PA, turns up with a Bono lookalike who puts on this very broad, strong Irish accent and pretends to be Bono for about five minutes. And she looks at him and she goes, you're not Bono, you are rubbish. But uh, he says to but Alan Partridge says to him, where have you been? And he goes, I've been to a pop concert. 
And he goes, who, who was playing? He goes, uh, we were. Um, so anyway, it's much funnier when you watch it. But you I'm, literally can't say the two words pop concert without saying pop concert. Pop concert. I, I, yeah, I can't. I like, and whenever I'm impersonating a rock star, I, I instantly do that impersonation of Bono. Um, but anyway, go and watch that. If you like Alan Partridge, it's one of the great episodes. Um, and interestingly, if you do like Alan Partridge, the hotel, the Linton Travel Tavern, which is where he lives in season one, is the Hilton in Watford. So me and Sonny went there the other day to reenact a scene from the original Alan Partridge. Um, of where he leans out of his bedroom window and pretends to shoot Michael, the handyman. Uh, so we walked around the hotel until we found the actual window that Alan leant out of. And, uh, and Was the hotel shut? No, it wasn't. Wow. I know. So anyway, I'm going to post that now. I'll send you the pictures of that. I'll get a screen grab from Alan Partridge and I'll show you Sonny. In <laughs> we were so bored. We were like, what should we do? We thought, should we go pretend to be Alan Partridge and Michael? Um, what are we talking about? Your Pop t-shirt. That's not the t-shirt. So Michael Hutchins wore this t-shirt, black t-shirt with the word hustler written across it. And I always thought, how cool is it? And I was only about 22 at the time. So that's probably why I thought it was cool. But I've always wanted to try and recreate that t-shirt. So I've tried it this morning. Although the black is I, Do you know what I love? Black. Yeah? No, but I love the grey on black. Oh, right. You like it. The grey okay. on black looks really nice. Well, what it was is my youngest son, Joel, wanted to print. He, he wants to create his own brand, a skateboard brand. So... Um, he, he bought this, uh, these t-shirt transfer things. So these are on Amazon. They're called PPD A4 inkjet t-shirt transfer paper for light and white fabric, which was a mistake I made because I printed this on black t-shirt. Um, so let me just work out how much the, uh, these are. But they were really good. And it, so it was £7.95 for 10 sheets. And they're 10 A4 sheets, inkjet printers, so just a standard printer, you print stuff on them in a reverse fashion. So you have to mirror the image. So it's back to front. You print it out on the paper and you just iron it onto your t-shirt. But um, as you know, Joel designed this really nice one of this, this cereal. This is so cool. Look at that. The skateboarder cereal. on the side of the bowl. That is a very, very cool t-shirt. Great, isn't it? Right? Um, and so, I, it's a really good idea for kids and to be able to get creative and see hmm. something that they've made actually on a piece of clothing, I think is a great sense of achievement. Yeah, um, it's, it's quite arty. I mean, I'm always talking about Procreate, but Joel did all that in Procreate. So he, he does the artwork and all the rest of it, mm. and then you transfer it to a PDF and then print it out. So you can obviously draw and paint whatever you like, but he's done another one where he's giving himself a little logo on the T-shirt and a big picture on the back. Oh, great. Um, I've obviously done this Hustler one, which hasn't turned out that well, but it's quite, it's quite cool nonetheless. Um, like next week, it's going to be Hooters or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, probably something, <laughs> Play uh, something like that. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> You can get this stuff on uh, on Amazon. It's very, very uh, cheap, and it's a really interesting and fun thing to do. And we've spent a couple of days just like making different designs, and you can make them big or small or do little logos. Where do you get your t-shirts? Well, I get t-shirts from Sainsbury's. They're four pounds each, uh, the small, medium, yeah. and large. Um, but obviously, Tesco's do t-shirts, and various other shops do do fairly any, cheap any t-shirts. Any supermarket as well. is close, and yeah. I'm sure they all do really reasonable t-shirts that you could kind of do stuff with your kids and. But this paper is specifically for white or light fabric. So you can get another, another paper that's for darker fabrics. So you should have a little look at that. But it's a really fun, easy way to spend an afternoon, have a bit of a laugh and create some images uh, for t-shirts for your kids. So I'd highly, highly recommend it. All you need is an iron, 
ironing board, printer, obviously an inkjet printer, uh, you know, and then a kind of artistic brain in some way to create whatever it is you fancy. I guess like uh, something that Henry Fraser, you know, the um, yes. author um, guy that I've talked about before, <clears throat> he talk, told me about art is that you don't, people often say, oh, well, that's not for me because I don't have a creative brain. Yeah. Everything is for everybody. Everybody can be creative. Yes. Even if it's just a splurge. So I would really recommend that people that really believe that they don't have a creative brain in their body have a go at something like this because the sense of achievement when you put something on your T-shirt or you'll have a laugh about it. But free up that creative side mm. in you because I feel like teachers or parents or siblings or even a look from somebody at something that you've created at school is enough to squash all creative juices out of a kid yeah. and um I, I i i feel quite strongly that everybody can create oh yeah for sure. henry's really henry's really tried to encourage me to draw mm. or paint and kind of him telling me to have a go has really kind of freed me up to have a go and i yes. think it's and i always said oh i'm not creative i can't do i can't do stuff like that but actually i feel like i can Oh, you can. I think the other thing is that people are very self-critical and, uh, yeah. and the rest of it. But you've shown me some of the pictures you've drawn. I just think, God, these are amazing. Like, and you're like, but, oh, this one's a bit dodgy. And it's like, no, it's not. It looks bloody brilliant. <laughs> but I wasn't, I wasn't free enough to ever do that before. It's thanks to him that I'm even mm. having a go. Yeah, well, I think good. sometimes you just need somebody to say, you can do it. And if anybody's listening and they think they can't, I'm going to be your person. I want to talk to you about something that one of our listeners who just so happens to be a very good friend of mine um, suggested to me to share with all of you today. And that is Anna McDonald. Oh, yes. She um, told me about a gazpacho. Now, this gazpacho comes in a carton. It's like a milk carton. And gazpacho is a funny thing because I seem to remember, was it? Jamie Oliver, who did what he called was a gazpacho, but it was his take on a gazpacho, and the whole gazpacho community yeah, took him down moody, yeah. because it wasn't exact. I mean, it's a thing to have a yeah. good gazpacho, and they're quite hard to make, and they are, it's a faff. It's soaking, taking skin off, taking seeds out. It's a, it's a long and arduous faff. Well, Anna has found the best gazpacho I have ever tasted um, pre-made uh, in a carton. It is brilliant. It's by a company called Alvale. That's what okay. I'm going to, um, that's how I'm going to pronounce it, but it's Alvale. spelled A-L-V-A-L-L-E. So it's made only from fresh tomatoes and selected vegetables. I knew if Anna gave it to me, it was going to be healthy because yeah. Anna is extremely health conscious. Um, and it is from Spain and the tomatoes that they pick um, are grown 200 miles from where they are. So that it's, it's close-ish in terms of, you know, it's not from another country. They're not flown in from somewhere. A maximum of 200 miles away. 25 years of making gazpacho, and gazpacho is all they make. Wow, really? That's it? They only make gazpacho. And they make lots of lovely promises. Their website, you know when somebody or a company or a group, they just do one thing. Mm -hmm. But they love that one thing so much. Yeah. Their entire website, when I was looking at it, 
it just made me love them uh, even more because they well, were so obsessed. There's something somebody once said to me that's always stuck with me like 20 years ago. Um, and it was, you know, there's that phrase, don't put all your eggs in one basket. But there's another phrase that says, put all your eggs in one basket and love that basket. And I yes. always like that, that when somebody does one thing, but they do it bloody well, it's like, well, good on you. You know, it's a basket worth putting all your eggs in, you know. So that's great. And right? when you hear about a company like this and then you read the blurb that they talk about and you think, oh, God, not only are you guys so passionate about tomatoes and picking and finding mm. the right farmers and Southern Spain's the place to grow tomatoes because they're so sweet and juicy from Spain. But in 2012, they made sure that their packaging, which is a really big bugbear of mine, comes from forests that are managed in a responsible and sustainable way. And that was quite a long way away. I mean, where ago, 2012 yeah. was, you know, that's eight years ago. And they, they're sort of ahead of their time in the fact that they're trying to be a responsible, sustainable um, business and in 2015 they completed basically a 10-year strategy that they had because they wanted to try and um, reduce the plant consumption of water and they've done it by 60 percent bloody hell that's good 60 percent and the tomatoes are still alive um and they're using 39 percent less electricity oh great yeah Does it taste any good uh, it's really <laughs> really delicious look here i i love i just drink it out of a mug I'm not mad keen, if I'm honest, but is it because it's cold, right? I think you're going to like it. Okay. I think you're going to like this. The thing with gazpacho is it's not to be heated. Okay. Like you might think, oh, but could I take this pot of gazpacho and just heat it and then heat it would it be up, hot yeah. tomato soup. Yeah. It would be um, tomato soup, but they do put extra citrus in there and okay. vinegar to give it a tangy taste which only works when, when you have cold. it cold. If you have that when it's heated up, it tastes a bit wrong. Could I? Um, it, it changes its profile. Could I put some Tabasco in it? Oh, I mean, it would be yeah. great. It's, it's got a tiny kick now. Okay. But you could put so a bit more it in. Would be yeah, it would be great with that. And then... They, they also say don't freeze it. Okay, that's interesting. So it needs to be, it needs to be eaten fresh. It is pasteurised. Okay. And um, so it's all right for pregnant ladies and it's also suitable for vegans. Okay. Um, and their Instagram account is Alvale UK. Um, I was thinking that if I put that in a glass and then mm. put some Tabasco in it, mm. a stick of celery maybe, and a bit yeah, of horseradish and then a yeah. bit of vodka. You know. And vodka, yeah. I mean, I'm not being funny, but a vodka gazpacho, if you were a drinker, would be amazing. Be good, wouldn't it? Because it's already got the spices and the, it's, yeah, got exactly. the, it's got the flavour to it. I want tomato juice, I want gazpacho in there. Why don't, why don't people do that? I don't know, let's do. let's do it. I'm going to try it. Maybe I, do. I do like a Bloody Mary. Um, and a gazpacho with it, you know, in a glass with a stick of celery in it would be lovely. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I know there's something. It's a cocktail all of a sudden, right? Yeah. Um, well, very good. That was great. I like food. I like chatting about um, different mm. food and stuff like that. I've got nothing in the fridge for tea tonight. I never, I never really liked gazpacho either. And mm. it's only been in the last maybe 10 years that I've really got into it. I just thought, well, what's the point of a cold soup? Yeah. As yeah, you, exactly. You always sort of eat a soup for warmth and heartiness and yeah. warming your insides and comfort. There's I, I nothing went, comforting. But it's I, the flavour of it that's so lovely. When I moved to London, I moved in with these two guys who I'd never met before. And they were both interesting, both Oxford graduates, one doing law and the other one doing finance. They'd, they'd graduated and were looking for a flatmate. So 
I didn't know anybody in London when I moved here. So I just used to say, well, what are you doing tonight? And one of them said, oh, I'm going around to a friend's We're playing poker. Do you want to come? I was like, yeah, sure. You know, so we went around to this big fancy house and they, they said, do you want some soup? I was like, yeah, sure. And they brought out this cold cucumber soup. Jesus Christ, it was horrible. And I, there's nowhere to go with soup. It's not like you can push it to the edge of your plate. No. You just push it and it comes back. God, I danced around this bowl of soup all bloody night. But I thought, who makes cold soup, for God's sake? Especially out of cucumbers. What happened to bloody a, a scotch broth? I mean, I, I agree with you that cucumber, because cucumber is quite flavourless. All the, all the chefs going to be up in oh, arms, yeah. aren't they? Probably, but, like, yeah. But, you know. You Neanderthal. Yeah. Um, but, oh, yeah. But, no, I'm not a cold soup guy, but I'll give, certainly give gas patch. Give it a go. What Give it a go. It? I'll get. I'll get. When I see you, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get you to try it. Get some in there. That I've got a good. long list of things I want you to try when I see you. Yeah, great, great. So I'm still watching the Last Dance on um, on Netflix. Oh yeah, yeah. That which sounds I'm really... like it's worth a watch. Yeah, it, it is worth a watch. I mean, I watched an episode the other day that's got a lot of padding in it. You know, when you think you probably didn't need to make this episode because there's there's a lot of repetition in it. I know all this stuff now, you know, like they could have, I, I found that with a lot of Netflix documentaries, they could be two episodes shorter. Having mm. said that, don't let that put you off. But um, there was an interesting bit about what it, what it's like to be Michael Jordan. I mean, I didn't really know how famous he was until you watched this. Oh thing. my God, he really was just a unbelievable. There was God. There was this great piece where he, he wants to sign a deal with Adidas to do, to do shoes with Adidas, you know, but Adidas are not really there you know they haven't got anything set up he's not really that well known Michael Jordan at this point he's only just joined the Chicago Bulls but Nike would like to do a shoe with him called oh, the Air Jordans yeah, yeah. my and god he's like, I don't really want to do this and they were saying well look we'll, we'll pay you $150,000 or something like that for the for, to, you know to, to put your name on these shoes and all the rest of it and at that time that was a lot of money he was a brand new basketball player no one had heard of him before so I think they were going He's crazy not to take this deal. So he was a bit umming and ahhing about it. And I think in the end, they settled on a quarter of a million quid. So he took the deal and made the shoes. And they expected to sell three million pairs, I think, in the first How many? six months. I think 128 million pairs were sold. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> I mean, I had Air Jordans. I had yeah. some. It like... Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. So there's lots of little stories in, like, oh, in there that, that my are, really, God. are really good like that. We think, wow, but... You know, he just became enormous. And did you know Spike yeah. Lee directed all the de- all those adverts for the Nike Jordan shoes and Spike Lee? No, I didn't. Good friends. So there's lots of these little intertwining relationships in there that are very good. But there's a bit in it that um, where he goes to meet the fans and, and he talks about like what it's like, but his life's quite claustrophobic. And he says, oh, I meet people sometime. They've got tattoos of my face on their chest or whatever. And weirdly, as I was thinking about talking about this bit, uh, uh, a message has come through from uh, Dan Washbourne Vic. Yeah, Dan. Yeah. He's got and, a tattoo of my of my face on his calf. Yeah. I, that's just pinged up on our messages. On, on, I mean, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you um, draw, draw it on there for him, for him to tattoo over it? No, no. He just no, took a picture. He, he just did it. And do you know what? He came <laughs> to see me off um, in Edinburgh. Did he? What, when you did your yep. sport relief thing? Yeah. Well, that's very nice. It's a very he's the good nicest, tattoo. He's the nicest, nicest guy. And he's always suggesting stuff for us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, um, but I just thought that was very, very funny. And I thought, God, it's weird because Michael Jordan was just talking about it in, 
that How thing funny. last night. That is very funny, yes. Um, so yeah, I yeah, absolutely the last dance I think has been has been fascinating. And it's interesting that, that the press are constantly trying to find things now to say, well, he can't be that good a person because he did an advert what called Why Don't You Be Like Mike? Uh, be like Mike and drink Gatorade, which is quite it's quite funny, isn't it? But it was the idea that he was this kind of pure person. So the press are now scratching around for for things with him, but they essentially just can't find anything. He just seemed what like you mean in the documentary? Nice. In the documentary, so uh, thinking not now. No, not now. In in the documentary in, now, like you're talking about, he's yeah, at that so stage. It, they're digging in, in the mid eighties. Take him down. They want to take yeah, him down. They, they now want to take him down and. Um, his dad's just been murdered and they're trying to find these different connections between him, his gambling and the murder and all sorts of stuff, you know, but the, the press are just starting to dig and you just it's think sad, that it isn't it, when yeah, yeah, somebody who is a true legend in his sport yeah. and that is an opportunity to like yeah, make just, headlines in your newspaper of negativity that let, you can let's take him poison down, yeah. someone's mm. success. Yeah, so it's it's interesting watching that, and it's an interesting insight into the culture of of uh, the press and the media and all that around that time. Because mm. he's just bombarded by press. He just press press conferences every game, you know. And it's just it's unbelievable, really. There's that. There's enough to talk about. There's enough to say, mm. you know. But um, what's he like uh, as a talker? He's he's brilliant. I mean, he's not Muhammad Ali, but he's not Mike Tyson either. But he, you know, mm. he's got a bit of chat. He's got lovely relationships with all the journalists. He's quite firm with them, but quite fair. He gives them a nod yeah. of this. He seems lovely with kids. Lots of disabled people come before the show to meet him and all that. He's absolutely, he seems so nice with them, you know. Like, it's hard to criticise him, really, on, on any on any particular level, considering what he did for a job, you know. But um, it's a it's a great it's a great documentary. I've still got two or three episodes to watch. Um, Would kids but, enjoy it? Um, I would have thought so, especially if your kids As a sporty. sort of inspiring tale yeah, of achievement. Definitely. Definitely. Against the odds. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there's lots of other little stories that run concurrently with it about the teammates that are also utterly fascinating. Um, but he's worth about $2 billion, I think, Michael Jordan. You know, I mean, the money he made out of it is incredible. But he was the greatest. And I don't think he's a, anyone's come close. But Anywhere near, no. Who's the guy who died? Kobe? Kobe, Kobe yeah. Bryant. So he's just come into the documentary now. Um, so they were obviously kind of friends and knew each other. I think, I assume they played together here and there. Um, so that's uh, that's pretty fascinating as well. Um, we have been recommended a documentary about Britney Spears to watch, and it's yes. on, it's on YouTube. And I'm just trying to see if I could find. Um, ah, so here it is. So it's from Sammy Lazarus, and it says, "Hi, Michael and Davina, loving the podcast. I'm not sure it's socially acceptable for one to suggest their own work for your podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway." Yeah, good on you. Uh, I've made a documentary for YouTube about Britney Spears. The aim of the documentary is to take a deeper look into how we, as a society, respond to her very public breakdown and how we continue to respond to her alleged battles today. It focuses on the way in which the media treats celebrities, particularly women. It's had such an amazing response so far. If you've had the time to check it out, it would mean the world. Uh, I'll tag you both into a snippet, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the link to the documentary is in my bio. So Sammy Lazarus. I am Sammy What's Lazarus on Instagram. Um, and it's called Britney Spears, an icon ruined by fame. Uh, and it's on YouTube. So I'm, I'm definitely going to give that a watch um, and maybe talk about it next time because that's the cold thing where she shaved her head and all that kind of stuff slightly washed I, over you know, me. I completely related to that. Did you? And and everybody's going, she's gone mad. She's yeah. like, da, da, da. I 
was like, she's not gone mad at all. I completely understand what she's doing. Mm. I, I, I get that thing when, when, I mean, I don't have it now. I'm not pursued at all in, in yeah. any way. And I'm very, I'm very lucky and blessed. But when I was on Big Brother, it was, it was relentless. And I, I'm not one to endlessly complain about the level of scrutiny because I just thought I'm so pleased to be presenting a TV program that's popular. I can't really complain about the level of scrutiny that comes with it. But when you're being followed all the time and eventually you just think, God, I want to give them something to photograph. Like this is so boring. I mean, the number of times, because my big thing when I was a teenager, I was a boob flusher. Yeah. I, I used to flash my boobs at everyone. I'd just be like, hiya, woo! Yeah. Um, and uh, my big thing was always, I'm, I want to flash my boobs. But obviously, you know, a mother of three yeah. Yeah. Um, in her early 40s, you know, if I'd have flashed my boobs at that point in my career, it would have been the end of my career because they would have just gone to Venus, had a nervous breakdown. She's flashed yeah. my boobs. But I just thought... But the desire to do it was really but strong. But the desire right? was yeah. so strong just mm. to go, it's like a middle finger. It's like a... I don't care. I'm going to just throw it all out there. I'm going to do something wild. I'm going to let rip. Mm. And I saw that in her because she's looking straight at the camera like she's going to shave my head. And she's looking straight at the camera and she shaves her head. And I just think, you just had to rebel. Yeah. You just had to just go, right, I'm going to give you something to film. This will give you something to talk about. But actually... It was amazing when she scalped herself. needed to just pick her up and give her a cuddle. Yeah. She needed some support and to be shielded, but she was so rich and influential mm. and just everywhere at the yeah. time. So hot. I felt like she'd got to that point where people weren't necessarily protecting her in the right way. Mm. So it'd be interesting to hear. Yeah. Well, this. maybe our, our listeners could also watch it and then we'll talk about yeah. it maybe next week and, and people could have their own thoughts and ideas on it as well. Um, so yeah, look, it sounds it sounds fascinating. That so that'll be good. Uh, we had mm. a message from Emma Taylor saying, "Did you find your original AirPods?" Sack, thanks so much for that review. It really helped me make a decision. Yes, I did find my original AirPods, and yeah, I would but not say for quite a while after. No, right? no, I found them under the bed. I must have just kicked them under the bed. It was very Are you frustrating. using your original ones again? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm now trapped. With your... I'm trapped between both sets. But what I would say is that the, the AirPods Pro, which are £250, are not worth the extra £100, in my opinion. No. Uh, they're mm. good, but the, the, the original AirPods that are about £149 are perfectly brilliant, acceptable and great. Mm. And that's mm. where I would save the money. But thanks, Emma, for that. Uh, Nicola Tuma has also been in touch. She said, just listened to episode 18. I'm sat on my terrace in Spain, 28 degrees with a beer, listening. Always so great. You're both so easy to listen to. Love your chemistry. How about, um, I'm about to investigate further collagen supplements. Oh, uh, great. I'm definitely going to check out Modern Love. So she just says a big thank you. I hope you've been enjoying Modern Love, those of you have been watching it, because it, um, it is great, right? Um, and then I think that's about it for shout outs. Let's see what Carly said. Oh, I just wanted to say thanks so much to both of you for the podcast. I've been listening since the start throughout lockdown. The highlights of my week are a walk on Saturday afternoon listening to the podcast, uh, along with your live ones during the week. I think your voices for me will always be synonymous with this time. <laughs> uh, you really helped me stay positive. Listening all the way from Bangkok, Thailand. Wow. 
good, isn't it? That's Carly. Carly P underscore BKK. Um, so uh, thanks for listening, Carly. We really appreciate it. It's really nice that uh, people are listening all around the world. Um, so very good. I did have a few other things to think about or talk about, but we've done, we've done our hour. But one thing I would say is that um, this too shall pass is a, is a saying I've said quite a few times recently. And um, I thought I'd work out where it came from because I thought it was a Shakespeare quote or something like that. But it's actually from an old Persian fable. It was retranslated. It's, it's from around 1200 AD. And it was a king of Persia who suffered with depression. And he asked his wise men to come up with a phrase to help him when he was having a down day. And they came up with a phrase, this too shall pass. And he liked it so much, he inscribed it onto a ring that he kept with him. But it was a double-edged sword for him, apparently, because not only did it mean that the bad times would pass, it also meant that the good times would pass too. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a. It, it's like as, as, as much as it freed him, it also kind of attracted him in some ways as well. Um, but it was a nice sentiment that it was put into a ring because I guess the, the idea is it's a circle, right? It's a never-ending circle of light and shade. Your life, but uh, it became famous when Abraham Lincoln used it in his inauguration speech um, when he became the 16th president of the United States of America, and a lot of people attributed it to him. But uh, there was a famous poet, I think, called Edward Fitzgerald that put it into a poem in about 1800s. And a lot of people thought it was his, but he actually stole it from, well, not stole it, I guess, borrowed it from this old, Persian, this old Persian fable. So I thought that was good, but it's, a, it's such a great phrase. And I love the idea that when you can solve problems with, you know, the minimum amount of words, um, it, it's, words are like a medicine for virtually everything. If you can get the right selection of words together, you can virtually solve any problem. And I think that is, this too shall pass, was it four words? And they're probably some of the most comforting words you could ever hear. So um, if you've got them tattooed on you, then good on you, I think that's probably a clever move. Um, but if you've got the lyrics to Oasis Live Forever tattooed on you, then I think that was a mistake, and one you'll regret if you get a bit older. <laughs> I've seen that on people's arms at a Burnley football match. Um, so anyway, I thought I'd just leave you with that. Uh, we'll put a little link to maybe the Wikipedia page on that phrase because it's quite nice. And I think it's, a, it's, it's great to see how far these things date back. I remember there was a really interesting thing that Socrates said 2,000 years ago. And if you read it today, you would think it would come out of the mouth of Barack Obama. It was not aged or dated in any way, shape or form. And when I found out it was 2,000 years old, it was like, what? Virtually the problems the parents seem to face raising kids 2,000 years ago are, ex are exactly the same today. <laughs> I'll, I'll dig that out and maybe read it out in next week's episode, but it's a brilliant, uh, brilliant little paragraph. Um, well, fingers crossed for lockdown getting lifted soon. That would be nice. Um, it feels like it's going to get more and more lifted, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, shops are opening, schools mm. are going back. Yeah, and the death rate's Everything's down. Everything's changing. And uh, presumably with lockdown being lifted you'd expect the death rate to go up but it's not so presumably no. something some science and nature combination sun. is going on mm -hmm. and um yeah maybe it's the sun killing everything it hates uv right well, they have said it doesn't like uv mm. sunbeds um it's the answer we got them sunbeds <laughs> <laughs> um okay Hi.
that's so funny. Well, I'm not sure about that. Some no. beds and deep fat fries. Yes. Oh, that's a good idea. What should I have for me tea tonight? I'm going to go to Sainsbury's um, shop pick up something nice. What should I have? I think you should do a barbecue um, and some homemade roasted potatoes and... Okay. Um, yeah, maybe some ribs. I could put some ribs what on else can you do? What else can you cook on a barbie that's so nice? Sweet corn. Sweet corn, ribs, and a salad. And some homemade roasted potatoes. Okay, great. Just me and Joel tonight, so we're going to have a barbecue. That's what we're going to do. And I'm not going to touch a drop of alcohol till the weekend. <laughs> it's Tuesday, by the way. I'm not. Well done. Um, I can go without. I'm not. I don't need it. Yeah. Are, you, are, you are you talking yourself into it? No, I'm just making a statement, a clear statement. You know, I know you're not feeling great today, but I just want to tell you mm -hmm. this too shall pass. <laughs> and on that bombshell. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.